Boom! Shake the room, Fire Nation. JLD here with an audio masterclass on how to ship creative work. To drop these value bombs, I have brought none other than Seth Godin on the mic. Seth is the author of 19 international bestsellers translated into more than 35 languages, including Tribes, Purple Cow, Lynchpin, The Dip, and This Is Marketing. He writes daily at Seth's.blog, which is one of the most popular blogs in the world. He's also the founder of the Alt-MBA and the Akimbo Workshops, online seminars that have transformed the work of thousands of people. He's in the Guerrilla Marketing Hall of Fame, the Direct Marketing Hall of Fame, and just recently, the Marketing Hall of Fame. His newest book is The Practice, Shipping Creative Work. And Fire Nation, today we're going to be talking about some incredibly important topics, specifically trusting yourself, being generous, being professional, how there's no such thing as writer's block, how to make assertions, earn your skills, and so much more when we get back from thanking our sponsors. Looking for a business coach who has helped thousands of entrepreneurs just like you to increase your profitability by an average of 104% per year, all for less money than it would cost to hire a full-time minimum wage employee? Schedule your free consultation today with Clay Clark at thrivetimeshow.com slash fire. Thrivetimeshow.com slash fire. If you're feeling like you have no idea where to start with your online course journey, then Thinkific's five-day course challenge is for you. You'll walk away with a complete blueprint for your online course that you'll be ready to put into action. Sign up for this free challenge today at thinkific.com slash fire. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C dot com slash fire. Seth Say what's up to Fire Nation and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Well, first, thanks for having me. Um, people assert that I am more uh, interesting and have a much busier life than I actually do in real life. Mostly what I do is notice things, um, particularly during the pandemic. My entire universe has been within one square mile and uh, it consists of writing, doing the work, uh, cooking dinner, and uh, listening to jazz. Wow. That's not a bad square mile there. I will say I live down here in Puerto Rico in a little gated community, and there will be weeks that I don't even venture outside of the gate. So I'll tell you, uh, I definitely can say that my world has shrunk over the recent time frame as well. In Fire Nation, as I shared in the introduction, we're going to be talking about how to ship creative work and Seth Godin has recently come out with another amazing book called The Practice, Shipping Creative Work. And he's broken it down into these eight sections. And within these eight sections, there's a total of 219 passages. And as I share with Seth a little bit in the uh, pre-interview chats, I've been utilizing this book as I'm going through my own journey of writing my first traditionally published book. It's been so helpful for me to keep the focus, keep in line, keep my really mind on what is important in this process. So the first four that we're going to go through as far as the sections, sections, Fire Nation, is trust yourself, generous, the professional, and intent. And Seth, let's start with trust yourself. The passage I, pull, I pulled out of there that I personally loved, and I have it up here in front of me right now too, is how big is the discard pile. Can you expound upon that a little bit? What the media talks about are the home runs and the winners and the people who, whether it was through luck or persistence, had a success. 
And they make us believe that if we aren't doing really well on a regular basis, we are falling behind. And it turns out that if you talk to anybody who has succeeded in shipping any kind of creative work, that's not really what happens. They're just good at shipping the stuff that works and not exposing the stuff that didn't. And in the case of the discard pile, if you read The New Yorker, you know that those cartoons, sort of funny, the best of their uh, type, um, it's easy to imagine someone having this lovely job of writing one or two cartoons a day, getting paid 500 bucks or 1000 bucks, whatever it is, and boom, they're done. They can go back to eating bonbons or whatever. <laughs> but in fact, uh, there was a great uh, tweet that someone put up, and basically for every cartoon that The New Yorker publishes of his, he does between 100 and 200 that you never see. His discard pile is bigger than yours. And so the thing that often separates people who are successful at bringing their work to the world and those who aren't is the ones who are successful have a bigger discard pile. What I love too, and I'm looking at this right now, is Seth included this picture of that discard pile. So he has this yes pile where there's a couple that are just sitting there. And then there's this discard pile that says no, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these sheets of something that will never see the light of day. And you, you're looking at these and you're like, I know this person poured his heart and his soul into every one of those and they're never going to see the light of day. And that's the point of this. And that's what really impacted me was this is what it's all about. And the second section, so to speak, Seth, and this is something that I've heard you use as a word so much over the years through you know, different podcasts I've listened to you on, through different podcasts that you've done, um, your books, your audio books, is this word generous. You really utilize this word generous a lot, and it really makes sense to me. In the section that I pulled out, or I should say the passage, that really I found fascinating was change makers in charge. Can you expound upon that? All right. So let's talk first about um, what do I mean by generous? Yes. Because I don't mean free. That it is generous to charge somebody a bunch to do what you do and give them more than they expected. It is generous for the doctor you're going to pay one way or the other to exert some emotional labor to make you feel comfortable or safe or seen, even though all they got paid for was to cut you open. That once we embrace the idea that it is possible to be generous, it helps us get out of our own head because no one really wants to hustle other people. And I guarantee you, no one wants to be hustled. And too often, entrepreneurs focus on what are they going to get? They're working super hard. They've got a mortgage to pay. What will I get out of this? And we can open up the best form of ourselves by saying, instead, what can I do for someone right now who needs to be seen, who needs to be understood, who can, in fact, benefit from interacting with me? And so what I am arguing for with generosity is shifting your posture. And then with change makers in charge, what I'm arguing for is that if you focus on your smallest viable audience, a few people, who will generously receive the work the way you intended, and you bring intention to it, then you are on the best path. It still might not work, but it's the best available path. 
There's a couple of things that I pulled out that I really just wanted to double back on to make sure you, Fire Nation, understands just the things that I loved about this passage was you can focus on the few, not everyone. And to me, this is so important because when you're trying to resonate with everybody, like you're oftentimes resonating with nobody, but when you do focus on the few, like you can really make an impact there. And then that final line that you have in this passage 47, the change makers in charge, you may not be on the well-trodden path, but wherever you're headed, it's important. And I just think that's something, Fire Nation, you need to be thinking about on your path as you're heading forward. And Seth, let's move into the professional. And the passage that I pulled out is, where is your hour. And I love how you kind of talked about generous and then moved into it. So can you talk a little bit about the professional and then talk about the passage, where is your hour? What's the difference between someone who is working themselves to the bone, wearing themselves out, and a professional? And the answer lies in less than an hour a day. It's what do we do when we don't feel like it? What do we do when it would be easier to back off or to do something else? And if you can approach this with intent, if you can serve a small group of people, if you can do it with generosity, even when you don't feel like it, it is in that moment that you will be separating yourself from the pack. And, you know, I'm not much for sports analogies, but it's pretty clear that the way you get in shape is just by going to the gym for an hour a day. Everybody has an hour a day to go do that. And someone, one of my readers sent me a quote yesterday from a soccer coach who basically said to his players, uh, you don't get paid to play soccer, you get paid to train. Uh, Playing the soccer is the fun part. And so what I am saying is there's this misplaced focus on authenticity, on doing what's in your heart, on being your full self. Your customers don't care about any of that. Your customers want you to be a professional, to make a promise for them about them and keep it. And if you can do that on the regular for the right group of people, you can do fine. I love how you seem to always just bring it together at the end. Even though these are pretty short passages overall, there's always just like that final sentence that I'm just like, okay, I thought I knew what he meant, but this just really brings (laughs) it home. And you do it here. And this is why I loved this specific one, number 87, where is your hour? The practice simply asks you to do it more than once to do it often enough that it becomes your practice. So simple, Fire Nation, when you look at it in that manner. Let's talk about intent. In the the passage I pulled out was toddlers don't get it. I was really intrigued by this one. Um, So can you talk about intent and then toddlers don't get it? You know, there are a lot of things in this book that make people uncomfortable. One (laughs) of the ones that surprised me is my assertion that if you're doing creative work, it's to make change happen. If you're an entrepreneur, it's to make change happen. If there's no change, why'd you show up? You're trying to change something. You might be trying to change a non-customer into a customer. You might be trying to change someone who's down in the dumps into someone who's enthusiastic. You might be able to change somebody who's out of shape into someone who is in shape. You're making a change happen. And it doesn't happen just as an accident. You're doing it on purpose. You have an intent. And owning it is really hard for some people. You're like, well, I was just standing here and it just sort of happened. No, you're not just standing there. You're using up oxygen. You're using up resources. You're burning carbon. Why? What are you seeking to do here? 
And if your only change, if the only intent you have is for you to benefit, well, then why are you surprised that your audience doesn't care? But if you can pick your smallest viable audience and engage in a practice that has a purpose, desiring to create change, and you figure out how to do it better over time, and you persist, what's going to stop you from succeeding? Nothing. But first, you have to embrace the practice, not constantly question whether or not you're going to do the, the work tomorrow. In Fire Nation, this is one of those where I feel like it could, and for a lot of us probably should be turned into a poster of some kind and put somewhere we can just look up from time to time throughout the day and just go through because it's so clean, so clear. And there's seven points here. I'm just going to run through them. This is a practice. It has a purpose. I desire to create change. The change is for someone specific. How can I do it better? Can I persist long enough to do it again? Repeat. And that was seven points in Fire Nation. It's like, you're going to look up at that. You're going to realize you're at one of those points. Go to the next step. Go to that next step. And we have some more Seth Godin greatness coming up as soon as we get back from thanking our sponsors. Thinkific is the best platform to create, market, and sell your own online courses. And we speak from personal experience. We've been hosting our online courses with Thinkific since 2017. With Thinkific, we can deliver content to our students in a simple, user-friendly way that allows them to learn and take action fast. Plus, our students are always raving about how easy it is to follow the flow of the content thanks to Thinkific's theme and templates. So if you're ready to create an online course to help you reach a wider audience, build revenue, and make a bigger impact, then Thinkific is the perfect partner to have by your side. To prove it, Thinkific has an exclusive offer for you, Fire Nation, their five-day course challenge. Here's what one of their recent students had to say about it. This challenge helped me gain the confidence and clarity I needed, as well as a perspective required to compile my specialized knowledge into marketable content that others will be willing to pay for. Sign up for this free challenge today at thinkific.com slash fire. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C dot com slash fire. Looking for a business coach who has helped thousands of entrepreneurs just like you to increase their profitability by an average of 104% per year, all for less money than it would cost to hire a full-time minimum wage employee? Fire Nation, meet Clay Clark. Clay has been coaching businesses just like yours since 2006. Yep, even through the Great Recession. And he does it for less money than it would cost to hire a full-time minimum wage employee. At a time when Inc. Magazine reports that by default, 96% of businesses will fail within 10 years, Clay is helping businesses like yours to grow on average by 104% annually. You might be wondering, how's this even possible? Well, Clay only takes on 160 clients, which means he's able to personally design your business plan. Plus, Clay's team helps you execute that plan with access to graphic designers, Google certified search engine optimizers, web developers, online advertising managers, videographers, workflow mappers, and accounting coaches to help you get on top of your numbers. Visit thrivetimeshow.com slash fire to see thousands of video testimonials from real clients who Clay has helped over the years. Then schedule your free consultation with Clay himself to see how he and his team can help you you thrive. That's thrivetimeshow.com slash fire. The next section is no such thing as writer's block, which again, at my specific stage in life with my project I'm focused on, I was drawn to this immediately. And then I loved the passage, the essential quality of the boogeyman. So can you talk about those? Okay. So how many podcasts have you done, John? 2,714, including this one. Most people think 
that they couldn't possibly do four podcasts. They have podcasters block. And there are other people who have customer service block. And there are other people, I mean, we can go down the list. Writer's block is not about writing a book. Writer's block is about showing up with your work. And writer's block is made up. It's real in the sense that people feel it, but it's invented in the sense that it doesn't matter. Because what you really have is fear of bad writing. If you're able to share enough bad writing, if you're able to make enough bad podcasts, if you're able to do enough ineffective sales calls, sooner or later, a good one's going to slip in. And what we have to do is realize that that fear of bad writing is real, but we're going to do the writing anyway. And in the case, I, like you, I say boogeyman, but apparently <laughs> the word me is supposed to be bogeyman. Bogeyman. Seems wrong to me. That feels like something that happens in golf. But anyway, the bogeyman, I looked it up because people after one of my podcasts said I was pronouncing it wrong, which led <laughs> me down this deep dive of what a, what a bogeyman even is. Uh, the bogeyman was invented. There are pictures of him. Uh, we invented him to scare children into behaving. And every single time a kid would uh, share with us one of their fears, we would add that to what the bogeyman was like. And the reason that the bogeyman works is because he doesn't exist. If he existed, he couldn't possibly be as bad as he's made out to be because he would be a thing. Instead, he's an endless list of all of the things we fear put together. And as soon as we embrace the fact that there is no bogeyman, by staring him in the eye and daring him to do the thing he said he was going to do, he's in our power. But the minute we invite him in for tea, welcome him and sit down with him, then we're back in control. And that's the part that I highlighted that I loved, which is as soon as you look him in the eye, he vanishes. And it's just like, poof. And I was like, yes, <laughs> got it. Next step, make assertions. So this is the section that I was going through and I was always kind of considering myself a fairly assertive person, but I was kind of having these aha moments as I'm going through these different passages. And then I got to the one on buzzer management. So let's talk about this. Yeah. I learned this one the hard way. I uh, organized the quiz team when I was in high school uh -uh. and then at tryouts, I came in last place. So I ended up being the coach of the team I organized, but was never on it. And uh, rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Rest in peace. The, the, the real lesson of Jeopardy, which so many people don't understand, is it is not about knowing the answer because all good Jeopardy players know the answer or the question. Um, the key is to buzz in first. And you don't press the buzzer when you're sure you know the answer. You press the buzzer when you think that you have a chance of knowing the answer by the time Alex calls on you. Mm. And that is what it is to make assertions. The cost of making an assertion is very low. And so we have to get in the habit of saying, but I wonder why it's like this. Or in the habit of saying, I assert that the reason it is like this is blank. And maybe you'll be wrong and maybe you'll be right. But if you don't make an assertion, you will never learn. And if we're here to make change happen, we have to begin by asserting, if I did X, Y might happen. And only by making that series of assertions do we have a chance to make change. And if we get stuck because we're waiting for perfect and hiding from the bogeyman, we're just going to be frustrated, not generous. Too often, we wait until we're sure we're right. I just love that phrase. I highlight it. Again, Fire Nation, too often, 
we wait until we're sure we're right. Earn your skills. That's the next section that we were going through. And I got to the passage, can you teach Indian food? And I just wanted to get a little deeper into this. I found it interesting. I know you are um, a fantastic cook uh, in certain areas. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. But earn your skills. Talk to us about this. Let's start with the fact that uh, almost everybody who lives in Puerto Rico eats the food of Puerto Rico almost every Mo day. Fungo. Exactly. And yet, people who used to live in Puerto Rico but now live somewhere else don't. That's true. So it's not genetic. It is not genetic for kids in India to like, um, you know, Mahni Dal. It's just what they were raised with. And we can show this in so many areas of so many lives that the idea of race and class and uh, all those things are completely invented. They are not hardwired into us. We are, they are things that we learned, sometimes from a young age, sometimes not. But if the culture is powerful enough to teach us how to eat and teach us how to speak and teach us how to sit at the table and teach us how to raise our hand and teach us how to go to school, well, isn't it possible that the culture also teaches us things like goal setting and passion and curiosity? Well, yeah, that's exactly where we learned it. So if you're not getting what you want, it could be because the things you're doing aren't getting you what you're hoping for, and you could learn to do something else. And once we ex- accept the fact that our attitudes are skills, that's such a game changer because it means you can learn a new attitude the same way you can learn anything else. And just per usual, Fire Nation, the last sentence with a bang, you don't have to wait for it to happen. You can begin now. The final section, Seth, was all about seeking out constraints. And I will say that being born in 1979, like my first visual of the moon was pretty much the moon landing and seeing Neil Armstrong bouncing around on the moon. So it's just like I've always had this image that, yeah, it was semi-solid. So the visual that you brought up in this passage, like really just kind of moved me. I was like, wow, like that was honestly a potential situation that NASA was worried about. And I'm sure Fire is like, what are you talking about right now, John? But I'm going to let you kind of describe this because it really drew me in and it was all about seeking out constraints. So can you talk about that and then the passage that I've been alluding to, which is, is the moon covered in dust? 10 years and two weeks ago, I got a reminder. That's how I know the date. Um, I met Neil Armstrong and, uh, had an engagement with him that completely changed the way I think about so many things in the world. And thinking of the Apollo 11 landing, thinking about perhaps one of the last great worldwide heroes without controversy. Um, what an extraordinary story. And so the more you dig into Apollo and all the things that they had to do, because no one, particularly the people on the lander, but no one, wanted them to get stranded on the moon. That would be really, really bad. Really bad. Well, there were some experts, including Professor Thomas Gold at Cornell, who were sure that the moon was covered in 20 feet of dust. And that if anything landed there, it was never coming back. It would be like quicksand on Gilligan's Island. And it was a serious enough risk that NASA actually sent up a mission before Apollo 11 just to be sure that had uh, no people on it. 
And also, if you look at the pictures of the lunar lander, the feet are way bigger than they should be. Yeah. And they made really big feet just in case they were wrong about the dust. So what does this have to do with Fire Nation? Well, what it has to do with is this. Entrepreneurs, and I've been one for a very long time, easily get frustrated. Uh, we lose our momentum. It is easy to point to constraints and say it's impossible. I can't succeed at this because of this constraint. If I only had blank, then I would be fine. And my response is constraints are the point. If there was, if there were no constraints, we wouldn't need you. If there were no constraints, there'd be no opportunity for entrepreneurs because big companies are good at dealing with life with no constraints. They just roll out another thing. They're bureaucrats. But entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs go to a place where everybody else says it can't be done. They look at the constraints. They figure out that if they can get around the constraints, they will be fine. And the next thing you know, they're home safely from the moon. Fire Nation, I hope that visual kind of moved you like it did me again. I just never even pictured that being a problem or a situation when it came to the moon landing. And it just to me, it's just like there's always way more to something than you know we know just from the surface. And so I found that so fascinating. And I love, Seth, how you applied that to Fire Nation. So thank you for doing that. And one thing that I kind of want to personally end on before I hand it back to you, Seth, is something that I pulled out of Tools of Titans that I was just in love with as, as a phrase. And I just wanted to share it with Fire Nation. It kind of brings us all the way back to the beginning, the first part of our conversation with the discard pile. And that's a quote by you, which is, people who have trouble coming up with good ideas, if they're telling the truth, will tell you they don't have very many bad ideas. But people who have plenty of good ideas, if they're telling the truth, will say they have even more bad ideas. So the goal isn't to get good ideas. The goal is to get bad ideas. Because once you get enough bad ideas, then some good ones have to show up. And again, that just ties this back to that discard pile, Fire Nation, that I really hope you start striving for. So Seth, let me hand it back to you. What do you want to make sure Fire Nation walks away with from our conversation today? And then we'll say goodbye. Please don't waste it. The leverage, the trust, the benefit of the doubt, the opportunity. You gave up a steady job. You dealt with your mother-in-law. You dealt with all of the hassles. And you're out there trying to make something better. Don't waste it by hustling. Don't waste it by being selfish. Figure out who truly needs what you can contribute, just a few people, and send everybody else to somebody who can help them instead. The people you are left with will make it clear to you what their dreams, their problems, their challenges are. And if you can help them get to where they want to go, everything else will take care of itself. Fire Nation, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and you've been hanging out with SG and JLD today, so let's keep up that heat, and please go to however you purchase books, audiobooks, you name it, and pick up The Practice, Shipping Creative Work. You can tell just from these eight passages that we dove into, this is, by the way, eight of 219 passages that this book is something that needs to be part of your arsenal here. Again, I'm literally 
trying to limit myself to two a day because I don't want to just have <laughs> too much because it's just like I want to like have these ideas soak in as I'm going through my process. So I hope you do something similar to Fire Nation, the practice, shipping, creative work. And slightly off topic, Seth, if someone wanted to start with jazz, because I know you love jazz, as you mentioned at the beginning, what do you recommend? How do we f- just first introduce ourselves to something like that? Well, the reason that jazz is interesting is because it's interesting. And it is not just music, it's math and it's culture and it's the blank page. That uh, a record like um, Kind of Blue from Miles Davis, best-selling jazz album of a 50-year period of time, was recorded in total in three days from beginning to end. And how could that be possible? Well, first, because Miles showed up with a template, but second, because each member of that band contributed as the music was evolving. It's called Trading Fours. And I would go back to the 50s and the 60s and listen to Coltrane, listen to Miles Davis, and then work your way up to Thelonious Monk and start to look for the patterns. And if the modality of it starts to rub you the wrong way, then go listen to some Grateful Dead from 1972. But what you will discover is that it is possible to not just play covers, not just to play hits, but there to be tension from one paragraph to the next, that you're never sure if it's going to work or not. And if you're going to start with just one song, go find a a record called Live at Montreux, M-O-N-T-R-E-U-X, with Les McCann and Eddie Harris. Apparently, Les and Eddie didn't like each other that much and had only met once or twice before they recorded that seven-minute song. And that the vocals on that song are from someone who wasn't even a vocalist. And if you can listen to it for what it's worth, I'm guessing you can listen to it. Is it called For What It's Worth? No, it's called... Hold on. I want to make sure I get the name right. Stand by. Don't Stand by. Anymore. Stand by. Compared to what? I'm sorry. Compared to what? For What It's Worth is Ruffo Springsfield. Compared to what? Go listen to Compared to What? Les McCann and Eddie Harris. Listen to it three times. Listen to it for the tension, for the two of them deciding in the moment on stage in front of other people who should go next and what should they do. And if there isn't a metaphor for entrepreneurship in that for you, I don't know where there is one. Seth, thank you for sharing your truth, for sharing your wonderful knowledge and your generosity with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you, brother, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, man. Hey, Fire Nation, today's value bomb content was brought to you by Seth. And Fire Nation, I've created a treasure trove of free courses for you. I teach you how to podcast, run a mastermind, create funnels that convert. I try to be generous with you, Fire Nation. All I need you to do is visit eofire.com slash resources to start learning today. And I'll catch you there, Fire Nation, or I'll catch you on the flip side. Looking for a business coach who has helped thousands of entrepreneurs just like you to increase their profitability by an average of 104% per year, all for less money than it would cost to hire a full-time minimum wage employee? Schedule your free consultation today with Clay Clark at thrivetimeshow.com slash fire. thrivetimeshow.com slash fire.
If you're feeling like you have no idea where to start with your online course journey, then Thinkific's five-day course challenge is for you. You'll walk away with a complete blueprint for your online course that you'll be ready to put into action. Sign up for this free challenge today at thinkific.com slash fire. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C dot com slash fire. 